I'm Dawn Stobart. And I'm Alan Gregory. And we are Pennywise Dreadful. As usual, I'd like to start with our content warning. So, Stephen King writes horror fiction and frequently explores the dark side of human nature. At times during the podcast, we will be discussing events that some listeners may find disturbing or even traumatising. And so, with that in mind, we'll begin our next discussion on different seasons, which a lot of people don't uh, consider part of... Stephen King's horror canon bring to light some of its more disturbing elements, I imagine. We have invited two returning guests to Pennywise Dreadful. I'd like to invite Dr. Andrew Tate and Dr. Jen Ashworth to uh, the discussion with us today. Thanks for having us. Hello, it's great to be back. Hi, this is Dawn coming from the future of the podcast. Say that this is part two of a conversation that we had with Dr. Jen Ashworth and Dr. Andy Tate about different seasons. Um, so I, what I've done is I've started with a brief recap of the last podcast and then we slide into the discussion again, picking up where we left off. The thing I love about the body as a, a, a maker of stories is how joyfully and unselfconsciously it moves through what we might call the hero's quest yeah Um, and we're expecting okay now there's got to be a thunderstorm and then in about four pages there needs to be an obstacle that is not of the natural world and tested test their characters and you go oh look they've got to run across the train bridge and there's something about the predictability of its structure that i think was really well judged because for these boys, it's the first time that they have done this. It's it's that sense that what is very exciting and new for them as a reader and as the narrator looking back on it is a bit of a shape. Everyone's got a coming of age story. Everyone's got a, a journey, a hero's yes. journey. The, yeah. you know, this is um, like Star Wars and Jaws and all the yep, other stories yep. that do it. Yeah. But um, I'd, and and that that just worked really well for me and he, he is quite self-conscious I think about his literary credentials yeah. and I think that this is very clearly a piece of well-planned commercial fiction mm. that is unapologetically brilliant at what it does. I wonder whether that sort of element of it being a well-judged sort of quest mm. narrative is why it's the one that is so explicitly borrowed from in something like Stranger Things. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. I've just been watching Stranger Things with my yeah. daughter. I think we're the last people in the world to watch it. <laughs> She's been saying to me, oh, you'll like this, you'll like this, Mum. And I'm like, no, I won't. I won't. I don't like that sort Did of you thing. love it, though? Yeah. We've only watched the first the first um, season, yeah. series. There's only two so far. Is there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. there's another one coming. Yeah. I did like it and I kept finding things in it like oh look they're dressing her up it's like E.T. and yeah. like yeah. all this you yeah. know very Spielberg-y I mean, a bit X-Files yeah it's so pastiche but it still is. kind of works I think it's, yeah. it's pretty cynical isn't it it's all the stuff people our age yeah. like well even the soundtrack the, yeah, yeah absolutely exactly like, you know every John Carpenter I kind of was very yeah. resentfully seduced yeah. I was resentful as I was being seduced by it and, and it worked but yeah, I think I think you're right. There's yeah. something about those very old, old structures that. And he gave birth to a genre, didn't yeah. it, as well? Yeah. Because the things like I think I'm 
think I'm right in saying the Wonder Years sort mm, of yeah. emerged. I don't even know if he, if King got paid any money, but it has a narrator. And Daniel Stern is the narrator in the film, I think. He's the adult yeah. version of Gordy. I'm like, is, is he the narrator in the Wonder Years as well? Have I I don't know. No, that's Fred Savage, isn't it? Oh, no. No, no, Fred, Fred Savage, Savage is, is, the, is, is, the kid, is the kid. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it has a similar kind of structure. Yeah. It's that view of the 50s, because I think that the short story, the novella, is set in 1916. Mm. The, uh, the film was set in 1959, yeah. so it's that kind of on the cusp of yeah. being... Yeah. Um, a Quick Google, constantly. Yeah. And, and there's, there's something about that voiceover-y type. Daniel Stern, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Well I, done, Andy. He's just for the benefit of those listening at home. Andy did an air punch just there. <laughs> You're not going to get away with that. No, and I, I didn't use Google at any stage. In you didn't. To this. You didn't. Yeah, I'm kind of relying on my um, my 80s instincts. Your capacious memory. <laughs> done well. Of, of 1986 to 1989, I forget. <laughs> else, but, um, this is your specialist mastermind topic. But that notion of the rite of passage. I mean, I suppose again, it is very masculine, mm. just like Shawshank Redemption, it's a yeah. world without women yeah. really. Mm. Um, um, and I suppose that's, you know, it's the homosocial world. Mm. So there's that Moby Dick notion. And there's almost a Moby Dick thing with the narrator because it's, you know, only he's survived to tell the tale. Mm. They don't die on the quest, but they die on the quest yeah. for life because his three peers die very young, yeah. don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's something about that voice the looking back voice that is nostalgic that comes up with these quite corny pieces of philosophy about yeah. stuff being close to your heart and you can't tell people but anyway I'm going to tell you quite a long story now all of that it's you know when I'm in one mood I find it quite saccharine and and, and quite annoying and when I'm in another mood I find it very um, comforting. comforting I do mm. maybe the first time that I read this, I was young, I was a teenager, and then I read it again as a parent, and I feel a bit softer towards yeah. it. This is Future Dawn from after the recording, just interjecting to say that we decided that this would be a good idea to split into two. So this has just been the first half, um, and join us next month for the second half. Anyways, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I thank really you do much. appreciate it. And we Lots will... Lots Yeah, thanks very much, Alan. Bye. 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 I think he's he's interesting, and um, that kind of flip side because although we get this very corrupted version of, of innocence, the summer of corruption, um, uh, you know, we get somebody who has obviously kind of instincts towards violence and humiliation, and it could go either way. Um, inapt pupil. There are people who kind of overcome um, the logic of. Um, uh, revenge, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is, um, or, or the myth of redemptive violence, which mm-hmm. you know, we come back to as a phrase, which is is, is a big part of American culture in terms of um, uh, things like vigilantes mm-hmm. and, and and so on, and we you know an eye for an eye kind of logic, Cowboy hero. Yeah, yeah, all of that. But um, Chris, I think both in the film and the story. We're told he dies breaking up a fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, in a fast food restaurant, as I remember in the Daniel Stern uh, narration. He's just characterised yeah. being a reader um, or a writer as something that's morally good and a bit feminine. I mean, it, it happens yeah. quite often. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But there are, no, there are a number of characters who sort of, you know, Red has done this horrendous act. Yeah. But he doesn't become, he doesn't deal in violence in the prison. No, no, he um, doesn't. And he won't. And he um, makes that quite explicit, doesn't he? He won't yeah. get people mad. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. won't yeah. get him the rock hammer until he sees yeah. it yeah. for a small. Yeah. 
And that, I mean, it's an interesting thing, and whether we believe in that, somebody who decided in cold blood, age 20, to, to commit this kind of horrendous crime. It wasn't a crime personnel, it wasn't no. something in the heat at the moment, it was, it was something calculated mm. and for money. I mean, it's just, it's appalling. Mm. Um, but um, he suggests that there is a different way. Mm. Um, so with King, I don't get that despairing sense that... Um, human beings are irredeemable either and I think it's sort of slightly more than sentiment I think he sort of suggests that um, you know not even just with will but with, with a sort of sense of human vulnerability um, you know we might become better people and he's writing that in the context in the 80s of of America being in the Cold War well, and there were I was thinking, and being but, very but what would success what would being a better person what would that look like and what what yeah. really springs to mind to me is the the baby that survives in the in the breathing method. Mm. He's the mm. picture of you know his mother sacrificed uh, herself. Um, yeah. He's he's a kind of weird version of a, a virgin birth and a you know mm. being born in a very odd way. I think at he, Christmas. At yeah. Christmas, yeah. Christmas yeah. Day, he's yeah. kind of pulled out of a corpse by the side of the road, um, and he becomes. A lawyer, doesn't it? Or no, he becomes. He's, he's a college professor. Isn't he? Does he become a college yeah. professor? Yeah. I think. That also. That's they're all great college professors. He <laughs> becomes a college professor with brown, very determined eyes, doesn't he? Something like that. That's right. Because the doctor. Because he's he's the last glimpse as we exit this book, and we're mm. thinking about all right. these things. We're yeah, thinking yeah. about redemption. Redemptive violence and the, the head of the, 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 the says, what is it? The child I delivered that night is now head of the English department at one of the two or three <laughs> most respected private colleges in the country. It's just typical, typical Stephen King. Mm. So this is what we're left with: the baby that survives, the success is possible. Yeah. And what will yeah. you go and be? You'll this baby has the job that I would have got <laughs> if I get any literary credit whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. If, if only someone would give me a Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I find it interesting because, um, and I find a lot of things interesting. Drink, you do. constant listener. We've, um, we've got a game on the podcast now because Alan says that so often. We've got the drinking game. Okay. We normally do it with coffee because we're good. But yeah, every time Alan says it's interesting, drink. Let's have a drink. <laughs> Maybe for people listening, every time that I've changed my mind about something or contradicted myself, then. But that's the mark of an drink. open mind, though, isn't it? So uh, an good incoherent mind is what I've got. <laughs> Anytime I wax nostalgic about the 80s uh, in any context. Basically, right. every listener will either be dead or unconscious by the end. Between, yeah. between the four of us, yeah. we've got yeah. all, all the bases covered. Now, um, I'm, I'm wondering whether it's. In terms of, because we're talking about structure earlier, yeah. I'm wondering whether that's why it was structured in the way it is, in the sense that because Red's narrative, before you're introduced to any of the characters, his background is sort of sketched out first. That's the first element mm. of the Shawshank narrative. Um, and it opens with the death of a, a, a newborn. Mm. And the sort of cycle ends mm. with the birth of another one. Yeah, yeah. Whether that's part of why the yeah. cycle is structured yeah, the way yeah. that it is. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. I mean, almost the least persuasive element of that structure is thinking about it in seasonal terms. Whether it, it's just, it's completely... Yeah. I don't know if he'd done it like, like this is an odd comparison, but done it like Joyce does in Dubliners with the age of the characters yeah. and it'd yeah, be yeah. about a progression. I yes. think that would have worked yeah. much, much better. But yeah. um, I think... 
the winter's tale has got to be right on the end. Yeah. Absolutely, that makes sense. But the the first story, I know it's about hope and hope springs eternal, but it isn't a spring story. No, it's not. not. um, In any meaningful sense. I don't think that damages my kind of enjoyment or um, kind of fascination with the stories, really. But yeah, it's as, as a kind of device. I suppose it's an experiment and, you know, thinking about... All of this stuff is work in progress, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, not that you're just heading somewhere um, in that kind of strict teleological sense across a career, um, but you know, how might you bring these stories together? Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you, we talked earlier on, Alan, about this, this they're being so rich these stories that we could do individual podcasts mm. on all of them yeah and uh, some constant listeners will be screaming that we haven't well when we get when we get to the end of we'll King's chronology we'll come back <laughs> but and, it's, do, it's, and um, do individuals I think reading them side by side is, is really worthwhile even though I was only able to revisit the first two in mm. full and to kind of remind myself I really enjoyed reading them in order and the order mm. that he, he had asked me to read them in and yeah. going through yeah. and thinking about it as a volume yeah Mm. And wondering why yeah. that one's with that one and not because that one. I'm familiar, yeah. really familiar with three of the stories yeah. out of this volume, but yeah. never thought of them as as a volume. I mean, <laughs> the, the kind of afterward is a bit of a shame, really, because it. it I, I guess what interested me from a kind of practitioner's point of view was that he said he'd written each of these between writing mm. novels, and what I didn't do, and what oh, I kind of wish I had done, is kind of traced that and traced the dates and thought what what novels do they come between and how does that work so if you do another one that might be something okay. to we'll remember that to, to have a look at because i was really curious about how that would work and that he wrote he wrote the body in two weeks all oh, right that's yeah it doesn't that's surprise very, very me quick. it does he writes like they're writing the tommy knockers doesn't he mm. like yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah um because I remember, there's the story of how he wrote what the Running Man in ten days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it doesn't always happen. I think there are. He says, I knew I'd read it. Um, each one of these stories was written immediately after finishing a novel. So the body was written directly after Salem's Lot. Apt Pupil was written in two weeks after finishing The Shining. Oh yeah, because there's a crossover of names, isn't there, mm-hmm. between The Shining and oh, Rita yeah. Hereworth was written just after finishing The Dead Zone, and The Breathing Method was written after Firestarter. Mm. And each of them, he says, was written in a different house as well. So that would be, you know, for future podcasts, to have someone discuss the novel and then the novella that yeah. was written immediately after it. I if you think. want to come back and do The Shining too. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining Part 2. Yeah. Well, I guess The Shining and The Act Pupil, I mean, it's, it's, they're about... It's a, it's a pseudo father son sort of yeah, relationship. Yeah, no, the, the abusive it? relationship yeah, yeah. trope is control, still there. Control, masculine care and control, yeah. and oh. Yeah, it makes absolutely. a lot of sense that it follows directly from the shining. Yeah. In chronology terms. Mm. I think of all the books, I've read all of Stephen King's books at various points from when I was mm. little to now. I think the end of Apti Pupil is the one that's got me the most upset. Mm. And I'm not entirely certain why, because I've read Rage, and it didn't have that... I think Rage is an awful story. It's well written, but, the, you know, the yeah. content. Mm. But, yeah, the end, the first time I read up Pupil and I got to the end, I was genuinely shocked in a way that... 
Which I, is, I haven't. You will know this, and I can't remember the title, but it's the one where the, there's a walk or a run and... The long walk. The long walk, where he gets to the end and goes completely that's, insane. That's the one that I find the most upsetting. And there's another one where they're on a raft and there's this black sticky stuff that comes oh, up. Oh, yeah, that's a them. short story, it isn't is it? Short, those are the two that I still think about and go, oh, that's very upsetting. We, we talked about this in terms of the long walk, didn't we? The long walk. The, the long walk is the one that gave me nightmares, but mm. I think that's maybe my um, lack of mobility to sort of yeah. rearing its ugly head in terms of the idea of having to walk four miles an hour mm. for, for you know, however many days straight without sleep just mm. scares me. There was something about the landscape of that story or the lack of it the that it was, it was so bleakly focused on, oh, that's the one that I find most upsetting. It was that one. I wondered whether he he can't he he personally said he was taking rage out of print as well. Really? Um that was his decision, it wasn't a publisher's decision, uh-huh. it wasn't a public outcry or anything. When was it published he, on? Seventy eight. Seventy eight So it's it's an early It was one of these Backman books. Yeah. And he say, he says his Batman persona is the dark side yeah. of him because yeah. you know Stephen King's such a positive person, but he says that there's <laughs> a bleakness about Richard yeah. Bachman that it comes out in Rage, and he t- he said it because um, there was a school shooting and Rage a copy of Rage was found in one locker. of the boys' lockers, mm-hmm. so he said that's it, we're not having that anymore. It's an, I mean that's the thing about because it doesn't end with a, a school shooting but it ends with a school boy yeah. doing a mass shooting and that it was written at a time before we knew about that I'm yeah. sure it happened mm. in, in America um, but not on the kind of American scale American kind of crime well, well this is what I wondered yeah. why hasn't he had the same reaction to because it does end with yeah. a sim- very similar thing going on there's a school boy mm. with a, a gun it's a good question yeah. I think it's just a lot less well known in that I sense it's so. buried in the middle of this this anthology um, and it's not I think directly people don't read short stories so much probably um, but also I think in sort of King's head in terms of his reasons his motivations for removing rage from print is that that pupil has not been directly correlated to a specific school shooting so if if Different Seasons was found in somebody's locker after they were involved in one I think he might sort of respond differently but it's really hard, isn't it? I mean, that's it's it's an enormous question and one we're not going <laughs> to... Don't worry, we don't have time for that. We, we won't that, cover it in, in our last bit of time together. But it's, you know, the relationship between art and violence mm. is something I think he's mm. conscious of. And also then whether beauty is transformative. And it's, it's thought about in mm. Shawshank Redemption mm. and he does talk about the contemplation of beautiful things. Yeah. And the fact that Andy makes these... Um, sculptures out of the earth mm-hmm. and you think I was, was thinking oh that's something to do with him digging out the wall but actually I think he makes them for their own sake mm. because people like them um, and it's a reminder that there's beauty in the earth but there's also that kind of reminder um, subtly that um, there was a group of people in Europe in the mid 20th century who were very into beautiful culture um, and they were called the Nazis yeah. mm-hmm. and it didn't stop them committing mm-hmm. the worst crimes that the planet has ever known <laughs> effectively mm-hmm. and I think that there is that kind of deliberate sort of awareness. Does, does art about dark human matter corrupt people? Um, again, we're not going to try and resolve that. But does you know does the contemplation of the beautiful lead to lead to good behaviour in its own way? And it's sort of King sort of endorses that in a way. Mm. Almost Red and Andy are people who transcend their circumstances. They've got a sense of what the beautiful is in the film, not in the 
Livella, there's the, the opera yeah. um, moment. Yeah. That, that, and I was yeah. trying to remember if that was in the book. No, it's, it's not. not. It's not no. there. Um, and it's a brilliant kind of innovation and addition, isn't it? a big part it? of what Andy does, which is in the book as well, is to get the library. You yes. Know, to yeah. Bring yeah. Stories I was wondering what you thought. It. You know, he's a librarian. Yes, he's, he's a prison librarian. Yes, yeah. Which yeah. This is. I've also been a prison librarian. Um, it made me laugh because when I first started working in the prison, it was um, it was a category B men's prison that I worked in. So the the men who I worked with were in the prison for long sentences, um, and it was it wasn't a top security prison, but it was you know high security, and. I was in there, um, I started in like the September and after Christmas they told me that they'd, they'd all, they'd watched Shawshank Redemption on Christmas Day <laughs> and, and I was talking to them about it and I was saying, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get you the book and maybe we'll do the book in the book group, we can talk about it and stuff and they didn't really take me up on it but the idea that despite its, its cliché and its corniness and its, its saccharine qualities that there was something about that that message that that beautiful things cannot be captured, um, mm. whether these are parts of people or objects that we make, or just the urge to make something or the urge to to be free, it was really meaningful to them, um, and that it was what they'd wanted on Christmas, which I thought was just unless they were lying to make fun of me, which is also yeah. possible. <laughs> so Andy is a custodian of books, and Red yeah. ultimately is a novelist or pseudo novelist. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, he's turned his life and his friend's life yeah, be, into he a makes story. It, yeah. And he even says, you know, I changed some details yeah. to protect the innocent, and, yeah. you know, to protect mm. uh, the identity. Um, so he's playing around with that. I think that, that's interesting. We know that he's bearing witness yeah. in a way that Nick Carraway does in, yeah. in, um, yeah. in Great Gatsby. Mm. Um, but also, actually, you know, he's the maker of stories. He's made decisions about how to shape this story. And we don't know at the end of Shawshank Redemption, the novella, if he will find so that's I think that's Andy. a big difference, it isn't is. it? We don't know if he's gonna get caught crossing yeah. into Mexico. And I'm I'm looking at the way he's characterised in the novella that he is very institutionalised. He isn't I think really there's another there's another cope. pairing with him and Brooks. Yes, absolutely. Isn't there? Mm. Yeah. You know, when when he Brooks yeah. gets out yeah. and the, the bird, yeah. his yeah. bird Jake, and, yeah. 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 And I think that that's an interesting pairing, especially as you do not get the positive resolution I'm at the end sure of the novella. I'm not sure Red is going to be able no. to to um, cross. I don't think that. that he's no, able actually, to. in terms of the kind of doppelganger nature yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's a wish. Is yeah, I think it would have been it would have been a much weaker ending to have him arriving or yeah. getting caught. Actually, yeah. I think either of those things. I think the fact well, that it's hope, unresolved, isn't it? Hope, the fact yeah, is yeah. that he'd never yeah. hoped, and now he does. He hopes yeah. that he can yeah. go, and that's yeah. that's enough. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it, it. I mean, yeah, and especially for Stephen King, yeah. and <laughs> you know, there's no blood. <laughs> there's uh, no finger from the sky yeah. causing <laughs> a nuclear Armageddon. No, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I think I think that made a big difference in the film, giving it such a happy ending. But as I agree, I don't. I necessarily think he hopes he can he's excited but you know if you've been in prison for that long and you're that institutionalised you have to ask of, permission yeah. to pee yeah and there's an innocence to him that when he, mm. he when he's out he talks about how many cars there are women he says there's women all the time wearing stuff that what does he say would have you brought up before the magistrate on a he competency hearing. He went to prison in 1938. Exactly. And it's kind of 1977 And, the, you know, women are wearing yeah. trousers and bikinis yeah. and he's like, oh! And, and there's something very endearing about that, but also I think he's not going to be able to do yes. this. 
No. <laughs> That's a very gem reading. It is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, We've chatted about my opinions about the end of the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, 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 has, that does rarely leave my mind. <laughs> Not just when you read the book, but no, just no, no. ever. Just, just ever, yeah. yeah. I think I think they eat him. I, I, do. I do you know what I think? Do you? I think I'm not sure whether they eat him, but he definitely ends up dead. Of course, he I've does. decided that's there's not a happy end no. in the road. Of course not. Nothing about the road is happy. <laughs> <laughs> but my partner, my partner's read the book and watched the film, and she absolutely believes that they are a good family and they will take care of him forever. They probably are a good family, which means they want to take care of their yeah. real children by feeding them. Mm. Yeah, I don't read it in that way. <laughs> <laughs> this, this encapsulates. Mine and Andy's friendship entirely, I think. I, I bring the misery, which is needed now, yes, and, now it is, and again. It is, the sense of the shadow, and, the, and Andy, the veil of tears. Andy yeah. brings the, come on, Jen, get a grip. The, the, <laughs> there is light in the world. <laughs> I think King wrestles with that in he a big does. way, and he mm. comes out sometimes via minor characters. Yeah. So, um, um, Meisel, who in many ways is represented very poorly, mm. He, there's a bit that resonated very strongly for me where he, he sort of remembers Job mm. and I'm kind of obsessed with the figure of Job um, but that, you know, Job is a book that he's often th- thought about in, in relation to, you know, can there be justice in the universe if there's also evil mm. and that in a theological way, you know, can there be a good a God who is wholly good and wholly powerful when there's evil mm. Mm. Um, and I think Kit King is, is obsessed with that question, yeah. I think that, yeah. that comes yeah. up again and again because you know, bad things happen to good people, good people are corrupted and so on. But there is that little shred of hope. Mm-hmm. There's that little polished bit of quartz. Yeah. Um, and comes he, up he again says, and doesn't again. he, that he'd learnt to thank God for the sublime experience of breaking his back so that he could be in the hospital, so that he could yeah. report Dusander. Yeah. Yeah. And this is coming from a man who begins his journey as, as he's pretty much an atheist isn't well, he, 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 he's, he's, where is God my life is so yeah, awful he says to his wife yeah, yeah there's um, no God and it's quite on the nose yeah. you know you suddenly realise there is no God yeah. and it is very Job in that it way is, it is um, and, he, and he has this journey towards it's a, it's a troubling journey he, he becomes grateful for his suffering yeah it's, yeah yeah and that's not unproblematic no. but I think it's it's not on top of the list but, but it, I think you're right that it is if all writers have question and I think they do um, I think that that's Stephen King's the problem of suffering is mm. Stephen King's question yeah. definitely yeah. I agree. what is your next one your next book it's Christine <gasps> it's the car next yeah another sort of facet of the American dream really <laughs> yeah. large um, yeah I see. I'm going straight back to 1987 and um, a summer of watching a lot of Stephen King films. Andy VHS. being nostalgic about the 80s, drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember vividly, and you know, closing the the, the uh, curtains on a, you know, a, a, was there a sunny July in 1987? I think there might have been. Um, but watching that I've film, I've never seen Christine. And Christine, and I'm saying it, and somebody will say, actually, well, it didn't come out till 94. What are you thinking about? It's Cujo, but. Uh, uh, I seem to remember watching a lot of those films because even by the mid '80s, there were a lot of yeah, yeah, quite bad adaptations of Stephen King films. Oh yeah, is it quite poor adaptations? There's quite a lot around his work. Did you see? Oh, like because actual pain. Um, Piers Brosnan. Oh, in the bag, bag of bones. Of bones. <laughs> 
I don't, it was it was Channel Five. Yeah. Should have known. Should have known. Pierce Brosnan doesn't yeah. do Stephen King adaptations no, 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 well. No. Lawnmower Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That, I was quite. Yeah. That, that was so bad. Stephen King said it's nothing to do with me. Yeah. yeah. Took his name off it. Although there's a new um, reimagining of the Mist and Netflix original. Mm. I've watched some oh, yeah. of that. I've watched it's several been, of those it's been episodes. Though, hasn't it? Has it? Mm. I watched the entire first series because mm. Ruth from Six Feet Under was in it and I think she's pretty good. It, mm-hmm. it was it was such a departure from mm. which is is another novella, isn't it, Mist? Yeah. It was such a departure from the novella, but I really enjoyed it. As as dodgy Stephen King adaptations go, it was not Pierce Brosnan's bag of bones. Have you watched Gerald's game yet? Yes. Because well, I thought that was an amazing. Yeah, I thought that was good. I thought they captured Gerald really. I found it quite upsetting actually the opening where she clearly doesn't want to be doing it, and she's she's um, she's coerced into yep. this sex. This and it's it's horrible, and you can oh, I found that upsetting. And I, I quite like the juxtaposition of her lying on the bed and the her that's not in the yeah. bed talking to her because I did yeah. wonder how they were going to make yeah. a film out of somebody being alone yeah. for a very long time and, and it's, it's, a... it's again I think it's this incarceral logic it's, mm. it's yeah it's about her figuring out a way to get out of the bed but it's about her getting him out of her head yeah. as well yeah mm. and her dad yeah all that male coercive control yeah. getting mm. it <gasps> no it was good it was yeah. good I like that so Jen recommends Gerald's game we could we could just have this, couldn't we? Like <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down, two adaptations. <laughs> but you know, this this um, collection of four inspired two films at least, which are widely recognised yeah. as, as kind of classic. Yeah. I think yeah. Out Pupil um, hasn't aged very well. No, and it was in it was in difficulties in all sorts of yeah. ways. Um, I've never it, seen it. It's not the best adaptation. Right. It should be amazing. It's yeah. got Ian McKellen as yeah. Cassandra. Oh, I know. And I was so excited when I was yeah. like, oh, yes. And, and then I think he does it, the, the part where he goes for dinner at his parents' house and he's, he's like this kind of old school European charming mm. gentleman mm. and it's then, it's not when he's in his house smoking and drinking and being, mm. or when he's in his SS uniform, it's then, it's when he's being charming and charismatic to rich cultured Americans that you think, this is this is frightening. Yeah. He can he can, he can, do it. He can yeah. deploy this. Right. You know that there was um, another film adaptation underway that got abandoned. Of that pupil. Uh, yeah, I only read about this this morning, um, and you know the internet does generate riches on occasion. So the app pupil was was Ricky Schroeder, who was famous as a child actor, and then went on to be in NYPD Blue and so on. Um, so he was in films like Champ, which I remember crying out when I was a kid. And it was an actor called Nicole Williamson who played Dusander. Um, and they ran out of fun- funding. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King is quoted as saying what he saw of the film was, was, was brilliant. And by the time they got the money, Ricky Shredder was too old. Oh. And they'd shot, apparently, there's about 40 minutes of, of viewable um, footage from the film. Uh, and, you know, like all things, it will have dated. But it's interesting that it was. It was obviously always problematic or difficult to I shoot. don't think you could adapt it I think it would be one of those... Un- yeah. un- it would be very, yeah. very difficult. Yeah. I don't think you could adapt it in a way that would cleanse it of its difficulty no, 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 at all. That's it. And whether, whether you'd even want to do that. Yeah. And I think, well, I think one of the, the good things about it is it's so difficult. Mm. We're not, we don't sympathise with anybody particularly. No. And the second you do start sympathising, you, you 
it's quite quick to say no just remember that mm. Todd's a bad guy too mm-hmm. and just remember Dusander's a yeah. bad guy there is no good guy yeah. here they're both parasitically feeding off each other yeah. and even though he's a 13 year old boy there is something about him even then well there's, the, there's that gothic trope and it's an American gothic trope of, of the kind of the uncanny child mm. Mm. But here, you know, it's that sort of sense of psychopathology. And, and I think yeah. that the implication is that his parents have just been too permissive with him. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. They've, yeah. they've spoilt yeah. him, they've spent money on him, they've nurtured him, he's, he's had the benefit of this American prosperity and it yeah. has turned him wrong. Yeah, in some I way. think there is that fear and it's quite a Puritan idea yeah. in some way. Yeah, he's been indulged yes. so he turns yeah. into a serial killer. Yeah. His dad's not a good guy either. No. I mean, you know, he's, he's a sort of figurehead of corporate America or you know, and he's a philanderer isn't he yeah, he's, yes, he's yeah, off yeah. kind of unrepentantly doing all sorts yes mm-hmm. yeah. that pupil's very much about what's under the surface isn't it mm-hmm. mum's alright she's sort of yeah. or is yeah. she just a bit um, a bit cut kind of ditzy and not really paying attention I think she's figured very sympathetically yeah. although not untypically for these stories at least She's not centre stage, is she? There aren't many women. I mean, I suppose the last story. Yeah. But then, is it a male story of women? It is. It's yeah. a male. It, it I, I don't mind Stephen King not not focusing on women. I think he's allowed to write about what he wants and what he, when he writes okay. about yeah. men yeah. and boys and coming of age and male friendship and male mm. tenderness and violence. I think he's brilliant. Sometimes he does women better mm. than others. That's an interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, all I mean is I think with with Todd, what's um, what makes it complicated as a narrative is you can't pin Todd's you know evilness on one specific element yeah, of his yeah. um, background or his, his life. No, there's no way. obvious trauma, is there? No, no. I think it is the sense he's a product of this. Mm-hmm prosperous America and he's yeah. the dark side of it um, he's, he's not a kind of trash can man figure where we can no. look we see all that childhood and we have a lot of sympathy for him even I, though he's going to do something figure in a whole of and he's been violent he's been very regularly violent and will be violent but there's a there's a narrative yeah. of um, explanation it's not like that with Todd and it's, no. but it's not like that it's not like that with very many of his evil characters, I don't think. But what I mean is, like, because you might sort of track Todd's origin story back to the discovery of all of those World War Two yeah. magazines yeah. and yeah. his friend's dad's garage. Yeah. But but you get the sense that the the germ of his um, darkness was was there predated that yeah. quite significantly. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's again. There's that kind of Puritan knowledge. Puritan idea about um, original sin or depravity, you know, which Herman Melville argued all novelists needed a version of. It didn't have to theologically be identical with that notion, but you know, his argument was was that it well, it should be there. And I think there is a kind of psychology and there's a politics to it. Mm. And as we've said, there's a complex ethics to the story, which which um, uh, you know it, it kind of falls foul of. You know, its own rules mm. in in, mm. in in lots of ways. But I think you're right. He, he doesn't. He doesn't simplify it, and the fact that he does make you follow him through, and it does sort of ask you both to kind of condemn him and to root for him at the same time. Mm. Mm. Do you want him to get caught by the school? Mm. You sort of do in order that you know that's the thing that might save you mm. um, in lots of and there ways. There are so many yeah. opportunities for him to be saved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, that's, I think it. that's what makes me think of it as quite Hitchcockian in some way because we root for these characters 
you know, it's, it's utter story logic that if you yeah. give a character a desire, yeah. the reader will root for them. Yeah, and right. and that okay. Todd, he, there's something that he wants, and especially when it comes to his report card, and he's he's yes. he's the yeah, apt yeah, pupil. Yeah. He's yeah, working yeah. so hard. We want him to be successful. Yeah, yeah. we and it's do. Something most of us can kind of identify with. Yeah, that yeah. Sense. We can sort of we're, can we're imagine what it is. Totally to, hooked yeah. into his desire. So it's it's the kind of brutality of the way that our own thirst for story exposes that gem of that gem of depravity. I mean, it's just occurred to me again that you know most of the people he kills in the story are homeless men, drunks. Yeah, and drunks. Um, and I think. I, I, again, I think King isn't letting the reader off the hook. I think he, he's saying something to America. You know, it's quite on the nose, really, mm. about you know, there's this, these two Americas. You know, Disraeli talked about the, the, the two nations, rich and poor, in, in, in Victorian Britain. I think there is that real politics to it, that in the same way um, that Germany identified certain groups mm. as undesirable, mm. uh, and we've talked about um, the way in which the book handles anti-Semitism and the yeah. way which it might fail with that yeah. but also I think there is this sort of sense of America has an underclass that it treats with contempt yeah. mm-hmm. and actually the violent actions that he, he, he commits towards them he sort of thinks he has permission he doesn't see he these does. people as people they don't, they don't they, matter they don't matter and I think partly he's inviting the reader to say well what do you think about that mm. um, you know in quite a, a distinctive way I think there's a phrase used somewhere and I might be wrong but the way that these murders, because it's not just him that's doing it. Do, do yeah, Sanders yeah. yeah. doing it yes. to exactly the same population. Yes, yes, um, yes, there yeah. is a, a, a sexual element in that the first time that Todd yes. meets um, one yes. of these kind of homeless men who are sick with addiction, he, he offers him, uh, there's a, a transactional sex yes, thing put on yeah, the table, yeah. which... Todd declines, but that's how Dusander lures these men in. Yes. It's very yes. sexualized, very yeah. transactionalized. Yeah. Yeah. And someone says they're cleaning up the streets or something like that. That mm. there's a there's an almost that these are the undesirables that need to be cleaned. Yeah. Need to, and, and that yeah. word really mm. made me think: is this? Is this well, what's yeah, mean? I think in the American body politic, yeah. the way in which yeah. um, the, the homeless dirty. people mm. um, are treated, um, you know, it's happened historically in big American cities. Um, it's the, the kind of way that. Prosperity theology runs through yeah, American absolutely. culture that, that poor people are bad people. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And again, we might then ask questions about does does King give these people not just agency but interiority? Yeah. Because that's exactly just... what he's doing in the body with Chris as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Chris is outside the story and the surrounding of the story. Chris is a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's from the wrong side yeah, of the tracks because right. he's poor. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's framed effectively. Yeah, he does a bad thing, but he's not ever let off the by authority. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, King King doesn't like authority, does he? <laughs> no. In his in his narratives, at least, um, you know, prison wardens and so on. Teachers get it a lot. Did they? But I wonder, just as a quick final note, sort of thing. I wonder whether you know when we're talking about King inventing genre or reshaping yeah. genre. I'm wondering whether the short stories in this collection or the novellas in this collection can sort of be seen as precursors to things like um, Less Than Zero and American Psycho and British Nelson yes. and also because she's from the same group The Secret History and Donna Tart. I think um, you're absolutely right yeah yeah. yeah. I think they're, they're, they're really important precursors whether either of those 
um, writers have read King. Mm. King is such a part of popular culture mm. yeah. that it, you know even the bad adaptations, everything. I don't think there's any through. any English language writer that can't say that there's not read Stephen King. Well, just that, that there's. I mean, most of us would not say that we were massive, you know, hugely hugely influenced, but that he just looms so large in the way that we yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, Working class American masculinity, yeah. or or you know so many things that period. Well, he he invented the idiom. Yes. That, I yeah. mean, again, you know, when I was first reading these books and so on, I remember friends using yeah. kind of phrases yeah. that characters in the books used, and then just becoming part. It's really of good speech. at funny swearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the much better way of putting it. There's a lot of funny swearing in these books. I mean, the extent to which he's entered the idiom is maybe sort of shows my first exposure to the name Stephen King was in watching Casper as a nine-year-old kid. Right. You know, when they pull up to Whipstaff and, and, you know, Bill Pullman stood there going, well, this is nice. And, yeah, if you're Stephen King. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, of course, after them, Mum, who's this Stephen King? Right, 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 yeah. It's yeah. funny how he's characterised because I, I don't see him as this kind of dark, frightening figure, but mm. as quite a sentimental... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that he's, he's, yeah, quite an optimistic writer. Yes, I mean, I think there's something in that as well. And the fact, the fact that he keeps writing and returning. And we've not talked about the kind of shared universe thing, although you know, there's a bit of that in these books, um, in, these, in these novellas. Um, but um, I think, yeah, the Dark Tower still at this, at this point, he's still quite early on in yeah. the sharing, isn't he? There's little yes. bits popping yeah. in. Yeah, but it was something he, he built. And, and, you know, I started off talking about David Mitchell, but David Mitchell's done that mm. in a very systematic way, or what's, what looks like a systematic way. And he's made this kind of semi-coherent world and I think I was like Stephen King gave him permission to do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and maybe you know a model of, 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 of ways to do it of course Mitchell does it differently mm-hmm. and he benefits from a much better literary reputation mm-hmm. than Stephen King does in lots of ways but he's tapping into similar kinds of things but I do find it telling that that Joe Hill who was evidently yeah. I think started to embrace the fact he's been sort of influenced so much by his dad's fiction yeah, yeah. he was never going to escape his dad's fiction yes, yes. but he's also influenced and includes references to David Mitchell's fiction right, in his own right. novels so um, yeah. you know I think there's an acknowledgement there that yeah. Mitchell's doing a similar kind of world building yes, yes. exercise Absolutely. but gets more <laughs> literary, literary um, yeah. credence yeah. From, from the masses yeah well, we seem to have all come to a vital, mm. yes. nice, easy quietness. Thank you so, for having us. Not a well, problem. Thank, thank you for you joining for us. Thank joining you. Us. It's always a pleasure. And any time you'd like to come back and join us again, I'm fairly certain we can. We, we we'll, should. We'll arrange it. We should definitely meet again to have a rant about bag of bones. <laughs> <laughs> Just the bad. Have Just, you watched Rose Red? Was another equally awful. No. Stephen King adaptation that I saw on probably the Horror Channel a few months ago, and I managed twenty minutes. Mm. And then you might ever do one off podcasts on uh, any of the adaptations. That's that's a possibility, it's isn't it? We haven't particularly done. How many are there? Seventy novels now, or so, something like that. Yeah. yeah. But he keeps making them. He's yeah. making them quicker than you're getting through them <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's been, what, two released since we last got so together. So the latest one? So Outsider was the yeah, last outsider. one. That just so I've read the first, uh, the first chapter of The Outsider in, in Grange Over Sands Library this summer, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll get that. It is worth getting. Is it? Yeah. Is it returned to form? Yeah. Yes, it's, uh, the ending isn't a, what? 
Oh, well, that's sometimes good. his endings you yeah. go, what happened there? Yeah. Whereas this one's not. It's okay. Mm. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I think that might be seventy. Or is it one is coming out in? One maybe the one coming out in 70. November is like seventy. It always has one come out around November time. But that's I always perfect get it Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> it is, I always get it for Christmas in hard bag. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, anyways, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I thank really do much. appreciate it, and we Lots will. S- yeah, thanks very much, Alan. Thank you. And, Alan. and oddly enough, by the time this gets released, you'll be married. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, congratulations on your nuptials that just happened a few weeks ago, Alan. Congratulations, <laughs> congratulations future Alan. I imagine. How's married life right? treating you? <laughs> I'll um, I'll impose. Oh, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Future the missus, The missus might be listening. It was... It's great. I'm probably <laughs> married like... so much future Alan sounds very happy yeah future Alan is just happy that past Alan survived the wedding good good bye 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 bye